Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com. We are in this amazing series. We started it last week, um, this teaching series called Discipline. And I know that's a really exciting title for many of you, (laughs) Discipline. Uh, really, it's what's in a disciple. Discipline is all about what's in a disciple. You need discipline. All right? You have healthy disciplines, hopefully. Like, I talked about a few of them last week. Like, you know, brushing your teeth every day. That's a healthy discipline. Hopefully, you are disciplined in that. Amen? There's nothing wrong with discipline. Amen? I think sometimes, and this is kind of part of my process with the Lord, sometimes in our charismania circles, you know, where we're just like, oh, yeah, scream, shout, wave a flag, run around the room. And those circles tend to lean against discipline because they're like, ah, that's legalism. Well, you can be legalistic about discipline or you can just be disciplined. Okay, and we're going to win that word back in this series. I believe it's going to be a happy word for you. You're going to like that word. Okay, the purpose is really to show the true nature of discipleship and how it fits in our context. That's the whole purpose of this series, okay? And so today, we're going to talk about the greatest discipline. Did you know there is one discipline to rule them all? There is one discipline that is greater than others. It's true. I'm going to tell you what it is today. And I'm not even going to make you wait. I'm going to tell you right now, okay? Love is the greatest discipline. Did you know love is a discipline? Loving God and loving others as you love yourself actually requires effort. It does. Have you ever tried (laughs) to love your neighbor as you love yourself? You ever made an attempt? Was it easy? Probably not. Not if you hang out with them long enough, you know? I'm easy to love from this angle, too, you know? I'm easy to love from distance, too. You know, it's when you get up close and you start seeing all my pores and the stuff in my teeth, and you're like there, like, ooh. Yeah. Come on. And I think that the church, the whole church, really understands that loving God requires discipline. Like, that's an easy, okay, yeah, I get that. Like, I need to pray. I need to read my Bible. There are healthy disciplines like going to church, which you're all doing. Hallelujah. Amen. Even watching online because you can't come in a room like this. We say that is awesome. That is also a discipline tuning in. Amen. Come on. And so these things require effort. And I think that when we think of ourselves in God, loving God, it's easy to go, yeah, discipline required. But when we think of loving others, I think sometimes we're just waiting for God to come down and just bop us and make us more loving. I think we're hoping for an encounter that would actually build something in us that makes us more loving towards our neighbor. I'm here to help you. That's not going to happen. I know some of you are like, what? It's, this is, you can't put you in the microwave of his presence and come out more loving. You can come out with an encounter that changes your outlook, but it requires discipline to grow in love. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to read you a lot of scripture today, okay? And if you listen fast, we'll get through all of it, all right? So, it requires effort. Let me give you the definition of discipline. This is just like Merriam-Webster's definition of discipline. It is an activity, exercise, or a regimen that develops or improves a skill. Training. 
okay? An activity, exercise, or regimen that develops or improves a skill. Training, right? So an activity. The action of loving God and loving your neighbor as you love yourself requires discipline. Would you agree? The exercise of loving God and loving others requires discipline, right? This improving the skill of loving God and loving others is actually the greatest discipline. Love is the greatest discipline. We need to train ourselves in love. Amen? You know what I saw this week? I'm, I'm not going to ignore it. I saw this week, social media is a great tool for a modern-day pastor, just saying. So because I get to watch all week long. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're really giving me things to pray about all week long. I'm like, oh, 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 whoa. And I'm like, Lord, you're, you're feeding my prayer life. Thank you. You're giving me... <laughs> like, I don't know to laugh or be insulted. Well, you know, it's okay. Maybe she'll go delete some stuff. It's okay. What I saw this week was a lack of skill. I saw a skillless people in the church. I'm talking capital C church. I'm not picking on just you. Don't worry. I'm picking on all y'all. All right? I'm picking on me. I'm picking on the whole church. I saw a lack of skill. It requires skill to stand up for what you think is wrong in a loving way. And let me tell you, I saw people standing up for what they think is wrong on every side of the argument in a non-loving way. And if you stand against evil or hatred or whatever in a way that is evil and hateful, You have become the thing you're trying to stand against. If you stand up and say, that's wrong. I know what's right, and that's wrong, and I hate you. Then you have become the thing you're claiming to stand against. Love is the greatest discipline. And we need to grow in our skill set of loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. I mean, it was quite an event this week. Yeah? Lots of opinions about what happened. Everywhere. I got called nasty names for what I said and what I didn't say. It's like, you know, say nothing, I was called complicit. Say something, I'm called a bigot. Straight up, I was called both those things this week. And I'm like, well, huh, what, what, what do you do, right? I'll tell you what you do. You use the resistance to train yourself in love. That's what I'm talking about today. That's what grace is here for. Are you ready for this? The grace of God doesn't just save you. It also is here to train you. There's a not often used scripture in Titus chapter 2 that I love to use often. (laughs) It says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Say salvation. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Say training. Do you see how grace appears to save you and to train you right there? Yeah. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in heaven when we die one day. Oh, sorry. That's what it says here, too. That was a joke. Training us. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us 
to redeem us from all lawlessness, say lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Say good works. Listen, you've been redeemed from lawlessness, but you've been redeemed for good works. We got like halfway on our, our, our outlook as Christians. I'm saved. I got a ticket to ride. You know, DC Talk, anybody? Do I need to wrap it? I will wrap the Toby Max section. No, I'm joking. Not going to do it. I could, but I won't. All right. You've been redeemed from lawlessness, but you've been redeemed for good works. It's not just from something. It's for something. Let me help you. Are you ready? Can I help you? It's going to feel like I'm hurting you, but I'm helping you. Okay? Hating your brother is lawlessness. Do you know what redemption means? It means bought back. You've been purchased. You've been purchased away from hating your brother. That means you have no legal right to hate anyone. It's illegal activity for you. Because you've been bought. You're a people for his own possession. You're possessed. Don't get mad at me. It's just what Titus said. Okay. Hating your brother is lawlessness. Say lawlessness. I'm going to read you a, a passage out of 1 John chapter 3. And if you don't understand the difference between condemnation and conviction, this is going to get real not fun in just a second. All right. So let me set it up for you. Condemnation comes with a death sentence. Conviction comes with a life sentence. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, meaning you will never be sentenced to death for anything you do. That's the scandal of grace. Amen? Amen? Come on. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ because that comes with a death sentence. You don't get that. But conviction is different. It comes with a life sentence. Conviction itself, just the word, actually carries no negative connotation. I can convict every single one of you from, for sitting in a chair right now. You're convicted, right? I can convict you of that. It's true. You're doing it, right? But are you to be punished for that? No, it's what you probably should be doing right now. So conviction doesn't actually have a negative result. It, in its essence, it doesn't require a negative result or punishment. Are you following what I'm saying? Condemnation, however, in its essence, does. It means death sentence. It says there is no death sentence for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So if you're receiving a death sentence, you're carrying out a sentence the judge never ratified, the judge never gave, okay? You've been given a life sentence. So as I read this, I pray for conviction. I pray that you will have the opportunity to receive life and life abundantly. So if you step into condemnation, just know I'm not sending it to you. Okay, and maybe you start to wonder who is, okay, and you tell it to go back to H-E double hockey six where it came from, all right? We're streaming, so I'm running to the edge, running to the line. <laughs> First John chapter three, verse four through 24. Yes, I said four through 24. Are you going to be okay? I know, we're not used to reading scripture in church anymore, so... Two verses. Mm -hmm. I preached off of one verse. I'm not giving a condemnation. I'm not doing that. 
I'm just saying we need the reading, the public reading of Scripture again. In its context, in its entirety, all your theology gets ruined if you read the Bible. Remember, conviction, life sentence. Condemnation, death sentence. I want you to have life and life abundantly today. Amen? Amen. All right. Choose conviction. In fact, just pray for yourself right now. Say, I choose to be convicted. Amen. There you go. All right. Here it is. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. We love that one. Pull it right out of context. Shout it from the rooftops. Forget the fact that the context is, if you keep sinning, you're of the devil. <laughs> Conviction. Condemnation. You choose. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You ever notice that the last time you sinned and liked it was before Christ? Yeah? You notice that? The last time you sinned, and we're like, yeah, that was good, awesome. And no regret, no guilt, whatever. That was before Jesus, I promise you. I've yet to meet a Christian who's like, oh, yeah, I sin, and, and I like it, and I don't feel any guilt, da 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 da, da. I meet Christians who say that's not a sin. That's a different level of deception. I'm saying I've never met a Christian say I sin and like it. Never. Not one. If it's you, we can talk later. You can prove me wrong that they exist. I'd love to have that conversation with you. <laughs> if you be so bold. No one. Born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. If you sin and then you feel guilty about it, take that as an affirmation of the Holy Spirit inside of you. He convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So if you feel convicted or you feel bad about something, just go, I must have the Holy Ghost. That's literally the, what that means. And you should lean into that conviction because life is sentenced to you if you do. Are you with me? All right. By this, it is evident. Say evident. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's Righteous, do not be surprised, brother, that the brothers that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Let me pause here for a second. Listen, every human being is from God, but not every human being is of God. You're like, wait a minute, of the devil, your father, the devil. Well, Jesus said the same thing. You're of your father, the devil. He didn't say you're from your father. the devil. He said you're of him because who you're from, you don't get to choose. But who you're of is your daily choice. 
who you're from, you don't get to choose. He's the father of all. I see the image of God in front of me, no matter what you do to me. Are you with me? Human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. They're from God. There's lost kids and found kids. All right, because you determine who you're of. Just want to be very clear about that. We know we passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Simple question, difficult answer. Are you ready? How many people have you murdered this week? I don't care your reason. The ends never justify the hateful means. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Come on, somebody, that's a good word. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. He's redeemed you from lawlessness. Hating your brother is lawlessness. Even hating your lawless brother is lawlessness. Picking up what I'm putting down. I have a whole bunch of love in my heart for you. I'm really serious right now, but this is the discipline of the Lord. <laughs> we've been redeemed from lawlessness, but we've been redeemed for good works. You know, the thing about good works it's still work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, again, I think some of us are just waiting for Jesus to come zap us so that we start serving the poor or something. Like, I think he's just, we're like, oh, one day I'll get, have one of those encounters like Caleb talks about, and, and I'll snot nose cry on the carpet for a little while. I'll lose time. I'll go into heaven, and I'll come out, and I'll see every homeless person I can, and I'll start feeding them for the rest of my life. That's not how it works. Anyone who's had that encounter knows that can be the result, but it is not the long-term discipline. I'm telling you, anybody had an incredible encounter and your heart was so full and you poured that out and then it ran out? And you're like, oh, I don't really want to do that anymore. And you start turning a blind eye. Yeah, that's because those things are windows into the identity of a disciple. They are not the discipline themselves that requires effort continually. Are you with me? Yeah, those things are just a window into what a disciple should look like. He whacks you. You get up. You're like, oh, I love you. And you start serving people, your spouse and all stuff. And your, your spouse is like, oh, my gosh, something happened to you. Well, they went to the resting place. They came out different. That's great. It's good. 
But it is not sustainable. It's only a window into what a disciple looks like. It's not the discipline itself that allows you to steward that call on your life. You have to use the activity, exercise, regimen that builds the skill to continue in that way. As you received him, so walk in him. Colossians 2. So, loving your brother is a good work, but it is just that. W-O-R-K. Work. 1 John 4.20, the next chapter of 1 John says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. A lot of people saying, I love God, but I can't stand people. I've heard pastors say, I love God, but I can't stand these people. I love God, but I hate people. Liar. You are a liar. Caleb, you're being mean. Well, You know what the problem is? A lot of the church is trying to be nicer than Jesus. No worky. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Love is the greatest discipline. It's resistance training. Okay? Just like when you go to the gym, which I obviously do all the time. <laughs> I've heard that when you work out, I've read somewhere that when you lift weights, the resistance is what builds the strength. It's actually the point of failure. It's the fail point where you can't push anymore and you choose to anyway. That's where you rip the muscle and it comes back stronger as it recovers. Yeah? Resistance training. You know when it says work out your salvation? This is that. Work out your salvation. You want to know how you work out your salvation? Staying around difficult people. Some people got salvation locked way tight inside, but it never works out. It just doesn't work out. Why? Because they avoid resistance. I don't want to talk about it. Don't talk about religion or politics. Ooh, don't talk about it. We can't. You know what that'll do? That'll keep you immature in love. That'll keep you a weak lover of God and a weak lover of people. Weak. You need it. Difficult people in your life, you're praying for them to leave. God's like, I sent them. They're there because I told them to be there. They're there for you. <laughs> but it's killing me. It's killing me. Yeah. Yeah. That's the point. This is what's in a disciple. Love for one another. Listen to John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. How did Jesus love us? He literally died. It was literally killing him to love you. And you're complaining about their obnoxiousness? 
man, I've seen Christians who have been Christians for 50 years, but they don't get this. And they are weak in their love. That's not a condemnation statement. It's not a condemning statement. It might be a convicting one. Doesn't matter. I've been a believer since I was whatever. I don't care. How well do you love your neighbor? That's right, girl. Say it. Just so the live stream knows, out of the mouth of babes, Psalm chapter 8. Out of the mouth of babes, he establishes strength to silence the enemy and the avenger. Psalm chapter 8. If a child knows, what's your excuse? Just for our live stream audience, I said, how do you love your neighbor? And a precious little one said, as you love yourself. She's got it. She's got it. Just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. By this, all people, say all people. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. All people are supposed to know that we're a disciple of Jesus because of the way we love each other. Listen, church on church crime is real. It's on the list of real. All right. It's on that list. It is. You've been redeemed from lawlessness and you've been redeemed for good works. Amen. Loving your brother is a good work. Now. All that I've said so far is literally you loving the people who actually are supposed to love you back. I've only talked about that so far. It's going to get better. Are you ready? But wait, there's more. This is what's in a disciple. Love for your enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. You know what the father does when he has an enemy? He prays for them. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And you're like, well, we'll never be perfect this side of heaven. Yeah, I know you've been in church a long time, but let me help you. Okay. I know the traditions of man have told you something. But if Jesus came in this room and said, be a chair to this table, what would happen? It would be a chair. He said to you, be perfect. And you theologically routed yourself out of the opportunity he just gave you in that command. You have a theological acrobatic that makes you more knowledgeable and more. (laughs) I'm going to be careful right now. (laughs) More. (laughs) It keeps you out of error. That theological position better than the word of God, because some man told you. That's I'm going to leave that right there. I'm leaving it alone. (laughs) You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. 
We'll never be perfect this side of heaven. You've heard this said? Jesus said, be perfect. He said, be perfect. It's a theological cop-out. That's the truth. Be perfect, but I can't. Be perfect, but it's hard. It's supposed to be. Be perfect. The context is loving those who don't love you. It's resistance training. It's they're there for you. You thought they were there for you, like they're coming for you. They are. They are. It's the truth. And there are, there's balance in everything. There's tension in every truth, right? So don't allow yourself to be abused. Don't allow yourself to get run over or be a, 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 you know, a doormat. Amen? I'm not saying any of that. Sometimes I have to say what I'm not saying so that people don't fill in the blanks and accuse me of stuff. Okay? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that whatever he calls you to, he equips you to carry. Whatever he says to do, he gives you the capacity to accomplish. Because when he speaks, he creates. And if he said to you, love your enemies, you are able to love your enemies. God's will is your capacity. God's will is your capacity. His will for your life is your capacity for life. Whatever he wills for you to do, he enables you to do. How? Grace. It saves you and trains you. This is the greatest discipline. Love requires effort. Love is the greatest discipline. I'm going to read you a very uh, popular passage out of 1 Corinthians 16. It's the love chapter, but, you know, love is patient, love is kind. I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation, and I want you to hear it through the idea of discipline, that these are disciplines being laid out before you, okay, that require effort, right? Yeah? It might be on your wall at home. You might have multiple encounters with the Lord, but neither the wall art nor you on the floor will actually make these things happen in your life. The only thing that makes it happen is effort, activity, regimen that produces skill, consistent attempt, resistance training. I want you to hear it through that lens. First Corinthians 13, one through seven. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages, and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but have never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Love is large and incredibly patient. Discipline. Patience requires discipline. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. Tell me that won't take some discipline. Like this one right here. Look at me. You ready? Here's a discipline. Or this one. Slow to speak, quick to listen. Slow to become angry. Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. 
Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect. Whole bunch of that going on. How dare you? You should be ashamed of yourself. Shame on you for believing in that person. Shame on you for voting that way. Shame on you for asking questions about that. Shame on you for not asking questions about that. That's trafficking in shame. It's lawlessness. Does not traffic in shame and disrespect. Nor does it selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. I'm going to slow down the YouTube playback right now and read that one again. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. You know, the thing about offense is you have to take it. They offended me. No, you took offense. You have to take it. Something can do something, someone can do something offensive, but you being offended requires you taking that offense. And when you take it, you build one. When you take offense, you build one. And you keep people out. You keep the blessings of God out too. Not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Who have you stopped believing the best for? What is their name? Will you repent? <laughs> These are the questions you need to wrestle with if you plan on practicing righteousness, if you plan on moving with discipline. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Again, I've heard that when you work out, <laughs> there's a point of failure a fail point I'm being funny I actually know about this because I love to rock climb they shut down the Tampa gym which is really upsetting but and that was the one I went to but I know about this when you climb all right and you're building strength in your hands and your feet and everything it's a full body workout qualifies for me as working out you know what I mean but it's like solving a puzzle too so I like it it keeps my brain engaged you know at this is just like Boring. I just can't, you know. So solving a puzzle, yeah, you got me, all right? So you can be on a route, and you can be grabbing a hold and putting your foot in the right place and do everything, all your technique is right, and your brain can say, just stand up. Just stand up. Just lift yourself up. Just, it's not that hard. Your brain is saying, do it. But your body says, uh-uh. <laughs> not a chance. And when you attempt to face the resistance head on and go, I'm going to try anyway, guess what happens? Your body goes, okay. I'm done now. It quits. I've done that many times. I've been up on the wall, and I do it without ropes, and I'm up there, and I'm climbing, and then my hand goes, ah, bang, and I'm on the ground. And it's like, nope, you can't do that. You don't have the strength for that. But the fact that I went through that failure, it's actually going to build me because I'm going to go back and do it again. I'm going to let my muscles recover. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to go back and do it again. So failure in your relationship is an invitation to discipline. It's an invitation to growth. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. I'm just tired of dealing with this person. Okay, get some sleep. Try again. 
Take a nap, try again. I need to quit my job. All these people are just rough. Okay, ask the Lord. If the Lord doesn't move you, do not move. Face the resistance. Walk in the tension. Build the love muscles that you're going to need for your whole life. If God doesn't move you, it's because you're supposed to be there. It's because he needs you to build that resistance, that training. Stand with me. We're going to pray. And I would encourage you to pray for yourself. <laughs> I would encourage you especially to pray for yourself. If this whole time you were thinking, oh, such and such needs to hear this message. <laughs> That's the sound of conviction just rolling through the room right there. <laughs> like, oh, they missed it. They need to hear this. Well, maybe you should be like, hey, Lord, is any of that for me? You know? And pray for yourself. Just come on. Put your hand on your heart or your head or whatever. And just pray with me. Say, put your name in there. Say, Jesus, help, help Caleb. Help him, Lord. Give him more opportunity to love. Give him more resistance to love. I know you're like, I don't know if I want to pray that. Do you want to stay weak? Do you want the kingdom to advance or not? You want to hasten the day of the Lord? This is a prayer that hastens the day of the Lord. Give me more opportunity, Lord, to love. Give me more opportunity for patience. Give me more opportunity for kindness. Grow me in love. I look at resistance and I say, thank you very much. You are growing me. I look at difficult people and I say, I bless your existence in my life. I need it. I thank you, Father, for you using all things that you work them all together for the good of us who love you. And God, we are going to be zealous for good works. We have been redeemed and we're going to be zealous for good works. We thank you, Lord, for the good work of love. We thank you for the discipline of love. I say right now, discipline me in love, Lord. Come on. Come on. Get bold, man. I, I'm not messing around. The church needs to grow the heck up. Discipline me in love, Lord. Discipline me in love. Discipline me in love so that I may rise up and obey you. Love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, and mind. And love my neighbor as I love myself. Teach me. Train me, Lord. Use your grace to rise, raise me up in this and help me to be a lover, not just in word, but also in deed. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to love. Thank you, Lord, for the discipline of love. In Jesus' name. And right now, right now, everyone in this room and everyone watching on live stream, I say, shame off you. Shame off you. Shame off you. Shame off you. You shall not be ashamed. You shall be radiant. We bless you, Lord. And we say your ways are perfect. No matter how bad they hurt. <laughs> in Jesus' name. Would you say amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out theRestingPlaceTampa.com.